Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our special guest today, Mark Howard, who is a longtime TV and radio personality in the Nashville area. He is going to talk Vanderbilt and all the other sports he has covered through the years. I think you're really in for a treat with this episode today. Our news presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Well, it's a moment we've been waiting for. Kickoff of the football season happens on Saturday night. That'll be 6.30 Central in College Station, Vanderbilt, and Texas A&M. You can catch that game live on the SEC Network. Mark Howard appears on the guest line presented by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable sheets could be until I got Bowling Branch sheets. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get off your first set of sheets. The Vandy Sports Podcast is presented by Jody Jones, DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after general and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. Jody has earned the title of number one in Nashville for cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many athletes, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate service to all of his patients. Jody never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Special thanks to Jody for being the title sponsor of this season. Mark Howard joins me. If you were listening to this podcast, you have almost certainly heard or seen Mark in some form or fashion. He was on talk radio in this town for, I'm guessing, about 20 years. He's been on Channel 5. He's been the Predators TV guy. I don't know that anybody... In the history of Nashville Sports Talk Media, actually has logged more miles in terms of doing the job that you have done. Mark, it's a pleasure to have you on, something I should have done a long time ago but didn't really think about because you've always been so busy. But I hope you're doing well, and thank you for joining us today. Happy to do it. Well, let's get to the question I think a lot of people want to know first. Um, How are things with you? just, I know that it's been a brutal summer for sports media. Um, just catch people up on how you're doing, because I know people miss hearing you on the radio every day, uh, not the least of which is me. Well, I, you know, this is definitely an unusual time in my career and my life. I have not been totally unemployed uh, since 1983. So, it, but. Yeah, these are different times. How am I doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, nobody has to worry about that. Uh, I've got a great family. Uh, I'm very lucky. Uh, and, I'm, yeah, I'm keeping busy. Uh, but I'm, you know, contemplating what I'm going to do next. And uh, we'll see what happens. 
Has there ever been a worse time to be in sports media than right now? Uh, there's probably, and you and I have discussed this a little bit. It, it is a tough time uh, because most media entities want to do it younger, cheaper. And there's nothing wrong with that because it does give people, you know, opportunity. But this is a hard business to grow old in. And believe me, I mean, there are a lot of people who have survived it uh, and will thrive uh, even more than survive. But there are so many precarious situations you get into uh, as time goes on. And the COVID-19 thing, I don't think any of us could have anticipated uh, the, the aftershocks uh, when we left the studio, uh, the Cumulus studio, uh, in mid-March. I mean, I never dreamed that I'd never go back there. You know, I've always looked at sports media. I thought there's two great ways to make it. One is just to be outstanding at what you do. The other is to be a real specialist in something, um, you know, as long as the market for the second isn't just so small, which I know a little something about. But I just think that all the preconceptions I've had about what it takes to make it in sports media have been completely shattered this year, especially after what happened with you and Kevin Ingram. Well, and Chris, there are a lot of things that have happened, you know, just within radio and even television. Uh, from what I've gathered, talking to my friends, uh, you know, in that business in this town. And that is the young demographic has disappeared from radio. And everybody wants it because that's the sexy demographic. But a few years ago, we had the biggest share of it on the zone. And now it is virtually gone. Uh, And that means that you know, young people in the 25 to 44 or the 25 to 54, however you want to, you know, however you want to stretch it, are either listening to podcasts, they are, they are consuming their sports listening in non-traditional ways, in new ways uh, that we wouldn't even have thought of a few years ago. So there's that. We also live in a hyper-politicized Uh, society and it bleeds into radio there's no question about that too that you have got to walk that line so there are so many things that segment and divide your audience that you know a lot of times you wake up and that number's a lot smaller uh you know than it was a few years ago well and on top of that before covid hit and i've known this for a while and you have too the business of sports talk radio doesn't get a whole lot more cutthroat and brutal uh, than I've seen it in Nashville the last half dozen years or so. Yeah, but you know, you know what? The, the truth is, Chris, that doesn't make Nashville any different than the other markets in the country. It was, it was sort of unusual there for a while. And the truth of the matter is, I mean, Cumulus, the zone, has a huge advantage in terms of signal, and everything else. And there are other radio stations, good radio stations, that you know have a, have a disadvantage in terms of signal and everything else. So usually in a, in a big market, you've got two or three radio stations that are fighting on an even keel. 
And that doesn't necessarily happen here. Yeah. 104.5 just got to be so big. I don't know how anybody else has really competed with that station. Well, apparently not well enough for me, but, uh, but whatever the case, no, I know what you're saying. Uh, but times change. I'm telling you, the numbers change. Uh, and you can't just assume that the zone is going to win all the time. Now uh, it's just, it's a different deal. People listen to other stations for other reasons, and you've got to give them a reason uh, to come listen to you. And there is uh, definitely a variety of opinion on how to do a radio show, not only in this town, but, you know, of course, around the country. Well, the other thing that has made it tough in this market uh, that I have gathered from talking to people, um, especially at one particular station in this town, is You've got some franchises and, and maybe a school or two out there that are very, very sensitive to criticism, and I think that has very much directed a lot of sports coverage in this town. Specifically? <laughs> well, the Predators would be one. Uh, maybe the, the Titans to some degree, but um, the, the Predators in particular, I think their years have been burning a lot the last year or two. Oh, no question. I mean, yeah, no question. And, uh, you know, one oh two five, that's, that's their deal. I mean, that's their bread and butter and they do it really, they do it better than anybody. Uh, you know, they, they, they do a great job of getting guests on there. If you are a Predators fan in terms of, you know, deep, you know, hockey analysis, uh, and information, uh, you know, I would say those guys do the best job. I mean, they just do. Uh, you know, Willie's, you know, Willie's on there, uh, and that's a huge thing. But, uh, you know, they, they load the lineup up with, uh, with Predators people and hockey analysts, and I think they should. And I think they do a really good job. At the zone, you know, they had, you know, of course, you know, when I was there, and they obviously still do have the Titans and, and the balls and those are two huge franchises. So yeah, you're, you're going to, you know, simply serve viewers who listen to those two teams probably as well or better because they're on your air. But uh, yeah, that, that does dictate it. I mean, there's no question about it. Before I get into some Vandy-specific things and then dive into the mailbag, what is your take on the state of the Predators and the Titans right now? Uh, the Titans, and, you know, in the NFL, it's, it's, it's you know, WML. Uh, it hasn't been pretty. The rush defense hasn't been good. They haven't done a very good job of getting to the quarterback. He's out there for a lot of snaps, but we haven't seen the sack numbers. But he's played. You know, we haven't seen Vicky yet. Gostkowski was an absolute train wreck in week one. He was week two. But Ryan Tannehill has been terrific. Teams have tried to shut down, you know, Derrick Henry, but Tannehill has has been outstanding. And the thing I like the most about him, he is spreading it around. Uh, you're seeing him, you, you see him get Adam Humphreys, you know, more involved. Uh, he's been a really good chain mover. 
Jonu Smith continues to develop and blossom, uh, you know, into one of the better tight ends in the league. Uh, but we're going to find out in the next three weeks, really, with the Titans. I think this is a tough matchup. Tough time to go to Minnesota where they're 0-2. Uh, and, you know, they've been vulnerable against the rush. And the one thing the Vikings can do is run the football. So, you know, there's no question about that. Uh, as far as the Predators, I think they've reached a critical juncture. I think they understand that they've got to change the DNA of this team. Uh, I think that uh, David Coyle uh, is, is going to think long and hard about what he's going to do in free agency. And that might not be what everybody thinks. Everybody's screaming for Taylor Hall. I don't see that happening. I, and I could be completely wrong. I think they need to get uh, a couple of mid to low level free agents that'll change the personality of this team. They're not tough enough. Uh, they're just a lot of things they need to do to get better offensively. They, they still have a lot of great pieces. I mean, you got the Norris trophy winner in Roman Yossi, uh, you know, Ryan Ellis uh, compliments him awfully well. Uh, but what do you do? I mean, do you trade Matias Ekholm, uh because you've got to start thinking about how many defensemen are you going to protect in the expansion draft? You know, that's going to be an important consideration. So you not only have to think about this year, you might have to think a little bit about next year. But I think David, you know, has to make uh, some essential moves to sort of change the personality and identity of this team. Uh, you know, this team was so big on identity for so many years. And the last couple of years, uh, that's gotten away from them. Let's switch to Vandy, and before I go more into the present of where the programs are, I want to ask you about the radio contract, because once upon a time, Vanderbilt was in a great spot. It had the contract with you guys. You've been the biggest game in town for a while. What can you tell me about what happened with that? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, uh, we had the chance to get the balls, and there's really, there's really no – there's no con- it's no contest uh, in terms of popularity and cachet and everything else. Uh, it was nothing against Vanderbilt, but, you know, Vandy was going to get pushed aside if uh, you had a chance to go out and get Tennessee. And, and I think that, uh, you know, you'd be, you know, you'd be committing professional malpractice if you didn't try to take advantage of that. And that's exactly what we did. You know, we felt like at the time with the Titans involved, we had the two most valuable properties, uh, you know, uh, in, in the market. And, you know, the Predators are, are, are really good, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons. But, you know, Tennessee is multi-generational. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, it, it's part of the DNA uh, of really, uh, and really almost a no-brainer. Let's talk Vandy for a minute. You know, you were here once upon a time where Vanderbilt basketball was probably the biggest game in town. That's not even a fair comparison anymore with pro sports. But it's been alarming at how quickly – I don't know that – I want to say they've become irrelevant because I'll let you make that judgment because you stand with as good a 30,000-foot view of the sports scene here – in Nashville as anybody, but I notice, and I, I don't say this to, to take an issue with it, but like, I think last year 
I was on maybe once or twice during football season. That used to be kind of a weekly thing with you guys. And again, I know it's not personal. I know that you've got to talk about what interests your audience. But I think that they are becoming, I don't know if irrelevant is the fair way to put it. I'll let you describe it how you you see fit. But the lack of interest in those programs, while understandable, is gotten alarming. And I just think that fan base is shrinking so quickly uh, it, it's almost beyond comprehension. Well, Chris, I, I think some of it goes back to, and I, I don't want to speak ill of the dead because I really had an enormous amount of respect for David Williams and, and what he did there. And in a lot of ways, as you know, he was a game changer uh, culturally and uh, just in terms of his coaching hires. I mean, David did a really good job of bringing coaches in, did a good job of keeping coaches, uh, especially Tim Corbin. Uh, but David's thing was not marketing. And I think Vanderbilt's marketing approach is an embarrassment. They have to understand. You know, I, I just think that they've always taken on the attitude that we're Vanderbilt. You're going to come see us. They can't do that. I mean, however you feel about James Franklin, when he was at Vanderbilt, he was beating the drum. He was calling in on our show. He was everywhere. Uh, he had people wearing Vanderbilt swag in a way that we've never seen before or since. Uh, and obviously, the, the performance of the team uh, has a lot to do with that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I thought it was amusing. And, and I say this with peace and love because I really – I really want Vanderbilt to do well. I do. Uh, I think it'd be great for the city. And I remember when Franklin was here and even Bobby Johnson, you know, towards the end when, when he took him to a ball game and the excitement that reverberated through the city when they were filling that place up for the Auburn game, you know, when Musburger came here, I mean, all of that is, all of that is possible. But, you know, the other problem is, you know, with Vanderbilt, you know, again, you know, poor marketing, poor marketing plan. And now, now look at Vanderbilt. When they announced that Vanderbilt would, would be playing in front of no fans, it's like the old joke about Calvin Coolidge when he died. How can you tell? I mean, you know, what, what, what would, how would it feel differently for this football team to have no fans come see them as opposed to some of the, you know, pity, uh, you know, some of the pitiful crowds that have turned out the last few years. So I, I think some of it starts, obviously, uh, with marketing. But you've you got to bring players in. You, you've got to have a competitive football team. And I think with Derek Mason, as much as I like him, I think they're getting diminishing returns. Well, and with marketing, man, they just killed the golden cow with what they did with the media relations stuff. And, and by the way, I say media relations. It was way more than that. Uh, they did a lot of stuff over there. And baseball is the one thing that had a brand over there. And I do not know how they could have possibly done anything more to gut that brand absent firing Tim Corbin than what they did with media relations. Yeah, I agree with you. It's puzzling, especially with the position that they're in. Uh, And, you know, you just think about this city now in terms of the competition Vanderbilt has to face. It's no longer just the Titans and the Predators. You've got the soccer team. 
Uh, you know, you've got, you know, other entities, you know, you've got people trying to bring major league baseball in. I don't know, you know, that we can, that's a whole different deal, but Vanderbilt has got a lot more competition now. There's a time and they do a lot of great talking, uh, but I don't see, uh, I don't see a lot of action. I, uh, I see, uh, you know, them contracting rather than expanding. And, uh, you know, you look at the other teams around the SEC and they're doing the opposite. Yeah, I am just really fearful for the whole program over there. I, I think that I fear that they will, if, if it had to be one or the other, I feel like they would do something to kill baseball, maybe not intentionally, but just through stupidity, then they will do something to bring the rest of the programs back to where they need to be. That's just how little faith I have in their leadership right now. I, maybe the new president will prove me wrong, but I, I don't know, Mark. I don't know how much you talk to people over there or are plugged in these days, but there's just a weird vibe over there. It's almost dark. I don't know how to put my finger on it. Uh, there seems to be a lot of fear. Uh, when I try to get anything out, out of Alan George, who is their media relations head, and I like Alan. None of this is critical of him. You almost get the sense that you're dealing with North Korea. There's just something really strange in the water over there. Uh, yeah, you know what, Chris? If they blew baseball up, it would, it would, be, it would be a colossally bad move, if that's a word, colossally. be a colossal bad move. Uh, for so many different reasons. You know, I know, everybody knows. If there's one sport at Vanderbilt that everybody in town roots for, and I'm talking about everybody, you know, it's, it's different with other sports and other teams, but Vanderbilt baseball has an incredible following in, in this town. You look at the ratings, you know, when they're in the playoffs and the College World Series, and it's, it's just unbel- unbelievable. And Tim Corbin you know, is is a force of nature. Uh, So I, if they're thinking in terms of that, that's, that's just absolutely insane. But you're right. I I don't know what they're thinking. Uh, I don't understand why they don't, why they don't give the football program more help. Um, I, I, you know, it's hard to explain how little they've done with that stadium as opposed to what everybody else has done. It's just, it just boggles the mind. Uh, you know, the way that they have hamstrung the fundraising, uh, you know, it just, it just seems like it's all set up for failure at Vanderbilt. And to me, the only way this is going to change is if they finally decide after Derek Mason, I'm sorry to say, uh, the next person they bring in, you know, will be, you know, a dynamic enough football coach uh, to maybe prompt change. But I, I don't know if Vanderbilt will do that. Well, I think what makes me suspicious, it's just the way they handle everything. They are really more in favor of obstructing information and hiding behind private school and what like I, I think I would feel better if they were more transparent and out there and at least trying to promote things about the future things. But there's just this bizarre thing where they don't want to comment or talk about anything ever. And it just makes me more suspicious than it does hopeful. Well, Candace Lee says all the right things, but I want to see her do something. Uh, and then, you know, and I am sure, 
you know, she's a very smart person. Uh, she learned at the feet of David Williams. She has great credentials, but I don't know if they're going to allow her to do what she wants. And that's, it, you're right. It's frustrating. It is, it's crazy what goes on there. It, it really is like the Kremlin used to be where, you know, you've got these, you know, you, you know, you've got these, uh, uh, these factions, you know, at work, you know, behind closed doors that are cannibalizing, uh, you know, the most important commodities of the institution. And that's what it seems like is happening, uh, you know, with the football program. I'm not sure what we're going to see in basketball. Uh, the only thing I can tell you is baseball will be good. Here's the thing that really concerns me for them. And this isn't going to happen, but just hypothetically speaking. Let's say that in football, they shocked the world. They finished six and four this year, beat Tennessee. You know, give people something beyond their wildest dreams to be excited about. And let's say in basketball, they go out, um, they shock everybody, they make the NCAA tournament. Uh, they're exciting and fun to watch again. Neither of those are going to happen. But if they did, the question I keep asking myself is, what do the crowds look like for the following year? Because I think the fan base has sunk to such a critical mass, not to mention the the mess that's their promotions and marketing. I, I shouldn't say it's a mess. They just don't try and don't put any resources into it. But my wonder is, like, let's say they got this back very unexpectedly and in a way that was respectable. I question how many people would be there to show up for any of it. Absolutely. You know, the other part of this is if you're a Vanderbilt fan, you know, you you look, they're going to be an underdog in every game they play in this year. We know that it could be 0 and 10. It might be one and nine. It doesn't matter because it looks right now like Derek's going to come back next year. And you're going to once again have a fan base that is totally apathetic uh, about its football coach and its program. And that's sad. Uh, I always say apathy is worse than anger because apathy means you're not showing up. Uh, and I, and I agree with you. You're going to see that, uh, you know, in the crowds, you know, even when they come back, uh, you know, and, and I think that uh, Vanderbilt's got needs a reality check. I mean, they have got to, got to think about, you know, do they want to at least try to be competitive? You know, they have been through the years. They've managed to do that. But, uh, you know, Vanderbilt's got to figure out what it has to do, uh, you know, to once again, you know, get to the point where you start the season at least hoping that you have a chance, you know, to get into a ball game. Well, and again, I go back to the whole bizarre thing with media and and relations and all those things, you know, they're not going to have any fans in the stands in October. I sent Alan George a message on request asking, will Candace reconsider having people in the stands for October? I got basically a, we refer you back to our previous statement that you always get when you deal with them, which I'm not sure what that meant, but apparently that's a no. Um, It's just so bizarre because they're not going to have fans in the stands I don't think that they really wanted to play football. I think they would have been perfectly happy if the league didn't play football, but I don't think they were going to act out on their own. And there's been some weird stuff going on. I still don't have a credential approved for this year. I don't think I'm the only one. Um, 
I will sit on some other stories that I've exchanged with local media lately, but it's almost like they want everybody to forget that there is a season. Media fans, everybody. And that because their games are on television, but I know what you're saying. I I I, I think this this whole obfuscation thing is is ridiculous and, and just and just a waste of time. Uh, I I just I I don't understand what the mission is. If they don't want to be in the SEC, then get out of the SEC. Uh, it'll hurt momentarily, but you know, in the long run, maybe that uh, you know would be serving the best interest of the university. You know, they love the checks when they come in. Uh, we know that, uh, but they don't want to do what they have to do to be a competitive member of the SEC. It doesn't seem like. And 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 now I don't know what they're doing. I understand that. Uh, that there are budgetary uh, issues now uh, because of COVID-19. It's hit everybody. Uh, and, and I understand that Vanderbilt, at least temporarily, you know, lays people off or furloughs people or whatever. Uh, that would make them no different than a lot of other, you know, schools around the country. But you're right. This, this has more of a sense uh, of, of this is what their game plan is more than this is a byproduct of what's going on, uh, you know, with, with COVID-19. Yeah, the media relations thing to me, I still don't, nobody that, no, don't, don't know anyone who has an answer on that because on one hand, like, if they had just gone out and gutted the whole thing and, like, hired interns or something, um, I would... It would be stupid, but I would sort of understand it. But, like, they go and they take Andrew Pate, who was as good a media relations director in anything as anybody had anywhere, and they replace him with the guy from Duke, who's pretty good, by the way. Um, they've got uh, the same guy running men's and women's media relations, so they've they've sort of replaced the men's guy for basketball. Uh, and Eric Dolan, who's a good dude, too, by the way. Um, they've hired somebody in Sarah Fetters for football who's been good to deal with so far. It's like, I don't get what they were trying to do. Because it's like they they just traded one guy for another. They, they've got, again, they, they've lessened the staff. They've gutted baseball. Like, if they just hired people who were 22 and could be molded to whatever it is they're trying to do, is stupid and short-sighted as that would have been, it would have made sense. But for them to kind of split the middle and not hire people there and go get, I guess, equivalent replaces other places without those people having institutional knowledge, it almost reads to me like they did something, they didn't think about it, it got out in the media, and there was a terrible narrative, and so they just scrambled to make the best of it at that point. Uh, but but God help anybody if they know what they were doing when they hatched that thing out a couple of months ago. Well, I do know this. Uh, the day after it happened, we had Tim Corbin on the show, and I was really surprised at how outspoken Corbin was about the whole thing because he understands the importance of an identity uh, on social media, and that was one of the things that he felt like he might be losing. And that's, that hurts you in recruiting. It, it hurts you in a lot of different places. And guys like Corbin really understand, you know, Corbin, as always, two or three moves ahead of everybody, uh, understands the greater implications of doing something like that, something probably uh, 
that the powers that be, uh, you know, didn't occur to them when they decided uh, to do this whole thing. Shall we dip into the mailbag? All right, our mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan, Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. Josh is my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about him on our podcast. Matthew Double Zero says, what do you need to see Saturday to think Vanderbilt football is headed in the right direction? Oh, man. Great question. I happen to think that Vanderbilt, to me, the one advantage they're going to have going down there, aside from the fact they're not bringing uh, the radio team, uh, is that Texas A&M has Alabama next week. So even though I know that A&M will be raring to go and Kellen Mond, uh, you know, you know, is obviously going to be a force and uh, and, and all that. I, I want to see something out of the quarterback position, uh, you know, and that could be a tough ask. Uh, but you, you know, you want to see some kind of a passing game. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, you know, we're supposed to see this uh, this up tempo offense. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm very intrigued to see what it's going to look like, you know, on the field, and that's. That's the whole problem with the up-tempo offense is if they start going three and out, you really start wearing out your defense. So, uh, you know, that's going to be, uh, you know, interesting to me, uh, at least to see, uh, you know, how Vanderbilt's, uh, you know, newly fangled West Coast offense uh, is going to look. Uh, and, you know, again, you've got two new coordinators, you know, coming in for Derek Mason. Uh you know, we know about uh, Coach Roof, you know, who's got an outstanding reputation. Uh, and I think he should be able to cobble together, you know, something different. But uh, I don't know what we're going to get out of Coach Fitch. Uh, you know, you know I, he, I don't think he has as much to work with, with all the opt-outs and everything else. But uh, long story short, want to see something out of the quarterback position. I don't know who the starter is going to be. Everybody seems to think it's going to be sealed. So uh, we'll start with him. Yeah, it's going to be seals. The bigger question I have is whether whether you can count the number of times that he will have three seconds to throw on one hand or two hands this year. You're right. You're right. He's not going to have that formidable running game where you know they can use play action and you know teams have to play them honestly. Uh, and you know Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator for A and M, is going to whether it's seals or anybody else. Uh, you know, whether it's Wright, Musa, or, or Danny Clark, he's going to give them a lot of pre-snap looks and try to confuse them. Uh, and in a situation like Saturday, uh, where, you know, Vanderbilt hasn't played a game yet, none of these quarterbacks have, that could be a real Did you by chance see the depth chart that they put out on uh, Tuesday? Uh, I didn't. I, 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 I read about it more than I saw it, but uh, I, I still get a huge kick out of the fact that, uh, that Grant Miller, you know, who's dad Fred played for the Titans, is one of my favorite players. Uh, somebody I'd go to the locker room and talk politics with. Uh, but, 
No, I, I, but I, but I saw comments about the, uh, about the depth chart, uh, you know, with all the opt outs and everything else, uh, yeah, I'm sure it was interesting. Yeah. They kind of pulled a Butch Jones special with that thing. I think. Oh, okay. Or was it Kiffin? Who was remember the year that Tennessee listed like eighteen co-starters? Was that Jones or Kiffin? Yeah, uh, might have been Kiffin. Yeah, seems like it doesn't seem like it's that long ago. But anyway, it was kind of one of those in a way. But um, next one was the Nashville media's consensus opinion, and this guy wants to know about Mason Stackhouse and Candace Lee. So I'll just let you take those in whichever order you choose. Uh, Candace Lee, I think, uh, the jury is still out. You know, she just, she hasn't even been in there long enough. Uh, I mean, we, we really haven't played any sports since she's been named, uh, athletics director. Uh, Derek Mason, I think everybody likes him. I think he's a good defensive mind. Uh, but I think it's probably time. Uh, and the program has, has declined. Uh, over the last few years, and, and I just think that uh, you know most people in the media, probably, prob- and I can't speak for everybody in the media, probably feel like uh, a change should be in order. Uh, and, and I, because I think most of us think they're going to go zero and ten. Jerry Stackhouse, I you know I got to admit, uh, has not done it conventionally, hasn't recruited conventionally, but I can say one thing. He's a good teacher and he's a good game coach. He's a good bench coach. Uh, and they got better last year. And to me, that's really important. So, you know, he's bringing, he's bringing kids in. He's recruiting fairly effectively, it seems like. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll see what happens uh, uh, when they reconvene this year. Nope. Other than my dogs are yeah, with that as well. Oh, well, I haven't had a puppy interruption yet, but that – the show's not over. Um, I, we, we have, yeah, we have uh, four dogs in here. It's just crazy. Oh my! Well, I've got one, and he's enough. Uh, he's a seventh month old, and he is crazy. We love him, but he's crazy. Yeah. Let's see. V Wars says, "What do you make of Derek Mason's career thus far at Vanderbilt? Has he really been hamstrung by Kirkland, et cetera, et cetera, or is he simply not a great head coach? And other folks would have likely gotten more wins with the rosters he's had." Well, uh, and again, I say this by saying I like Derek Mason a lot. I think he's a good man. I think he's a good, he's a good defensive mind. But I also feel like if they start, you know, if they start playing the Kirkland card, I think it's a crutch because when you come to Vanderbilt, you know what the deal is. You know that your your facilities are not going to be as good as everybody else's, and that's just the way it is. Uh, and uh, you know, James Franklin you know, managed uh, uh, to make things happen. And, and Derek, uh, I think, either didn't feel like uh, he had a strong enough hand to put his foot down or just decided uh, that, you know, he was going to let uh, his athletics director and the powers that be uh, try to improve the facilities. But, uh, you know, when Mr. Turner came in as AD, he talked to a lot of people. And the one thing he said is that Derek Mason needs help. Uh, the facilities uh, that he's trying to win with, you know, are the 14th best in the SEC by a long shot. But I didn't like the fact that Derek was kind of using that uh, as an excuse uh, 
at the end of last year. I, I think that's uh, the last vestige of a guy that's about to get fired, to be honest with you. But uh, that's just my opinion. Well, first of all, Derek should have pushed a long time ago when he had the hammer, yeah. uh, and he didn't. Um, you know, I look at it this way. I've had this theory for a while that I think the best investment in sports – is a, a great college football head coach. Now, the bad ones get overpaid, but if you find a great one, I mean, the return on investment for a an outstanding football coach is way greater. Well, I shouldn't say way greater because I think it's spread out over time on facilities, but I think you can get a ton of bang for your buck with the right football coach, and James Franklin showed what the upside is, even with crap around you. Yeah, and and – you know, Franklin was a bull in a china shop. He was. And he alienated a lot of people. But you know what? He had to. Uh, because the old way of doing things, you know, wasn't working. And, you know, I still, you know, almost chuckle when I think of James Franklin and the circumstances that surrounded his arrival. You know, the, remember, the Maryland people couldn't wait to get rid of him. And two years later... They're on their knees begging him to come back. I mean, it was it was really kind of funny and kind of ironic. But I don't even know if Vanderbilt knew what they were getting in Franklin. But he was a guy who came here ready to be a head coach. Knew, you know, had the playbook and everything else. And I'm talking about media. I'm talking about, you know, recruiting, everything. And the problem with Derek Mason was he's been learning on the job. He's a good guy. He's almost too good a guy. Uh, and I think that... You know, at the end of the day, he's going to make somebody a really good defensive coordinator, whether it's in college or in the NFL. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think he did his best here. He, they got a few good years out of him. Uh, but it, he made some bad hires. Uh, I think we can, we can all say that. And, you know, again, I mean, the recruiting is, is a huge challenge. Uh, and, and sometimes – uh, it, it, it almost has to be perfect. You almost have to hit on, you know, every good kid that you bring in. Uh, and for a while that, you know, that worked for Derek. Uh, I think to me the the biggest indictment of Mason was last year where he had three guys, three guys who looked like they were going to get drafted by the NFL and, and really only one, you know, had a decent year. Uh, you know, that, that, that to me, you know, that to me, if I were the AD, I would have fired him after last year. Uh, but I don't, but his contract probably prevented that. But uh, when you've got three guys, you know, who look like draftable NFL players who wanted to come back and are betting on themselves, you know, Kalijah Lipscomb, you know, didn't work out for him. Uh, and, you know, we, you know, the, the, the tight end, you know, had a terrible year. I mean, he basically took him out of the offense. Uh, and, you know, really for the most part, to me last year was, 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 a, was a catastrophe uh, based on what it could have been. Well, you know as well as I do, when you watch teams and you look from the outside, there's such a disconnect from what things could be from what they are. You know there's some issue, whether it's chemistry or something else. There was something wrong with that team from the get-go, and I can point to reasons, but there's still something about that team that I cannot put my finger on, and people that I talked to that were close to it couldn't either. That was one of the strangest things I've ever covered. 
Oh, I, I, no doubt. But, you know, there were such high hopes, uh, you know, for Vanderbilt last year because, you know, again, you know, very few times uh, did they have, you know, uh, as, at least in my opinion, the first time in a long time, that many impact players, that many playmakers, and we just never saw it. And, and I, I, you know, to this day, I don't understand, you know, what happened to them. And, uh, you know, you look now uh, and, you know, you look back and reflect. They never, you know, quite got the, uh, the quarterback position right. I mean, Keyshawn Vaughn had a good year. I mean, we know that. Uh, so, so there was no question about that. But Kalijah Lipscomb, you know, had a decent year, but didn't seem to improve. And Jared Pinkney disappeared. I mean, he just absolutely disappeared. Uh, and, and you wonder what those guys were thinking. Uh, when they got cut from the NFL this year, that, you know, to me, in a situation like that, it's incumbent upon a coaching staff to make those guys better. And I just didn't see that happening, uh, uh, especially for Lipscomb uh, and Pickney. It just didn't happen. And you'll never convince me otherwise. D.A. Dor wants to know if you and Kevin Stallings stay in touch to talk baseball or anything else, and if you have any reflections on the period of transition from Kevin to Bryce to Jerry. Oh, my gosh. I haven't talked to Kevin uh, in over a year, but I, I root for, for Jacob, uh, his son, like crazy. Uh, in fact, uh, as, as we're speaking, Jacob uh, last night did a walk-off uh, home run for the Pirates. We're having a terrible year, but happy he's getting a chance. The transition, you know, Bryce Drew, the first year, it looked it looked pretty good. And Bryce Drew, of course, uh, you know, recruiting the five-star kids, everybody was excited. But that last year with Bryce Drew was just an, an absolute train wreck. And, and to me, for anybody who wanted, you know, to blame injury on what happened, uh, wasn't paying attention. Uh, and the transition to Jerry, it was an unconventional hire. I know people who even at the time, still now, don't love the hire. But I'm liking it more today than I did the day that it happened because I think Jerry wants to stay. He's not using this necessarily uh, uh, as a stepping stone to the NBA or whatever. And I think uh, he's done a good job. I think he did a really good job last year. Uh, and, and to me, it's not always about recruiting. Uh, not enough times do we see, you know, player development and, 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 you know, and guys improving. And you definitely saw that last year. Let's see. D.A. Dor also wants to know if you have plans to get back into political talk radio because he says he might listen. Probably not. People around here hate my politics. Uh, <laughs> and I try, for the most part, to keep my mouth shut. Uh, I feel how I feel. It's funny because people don't know. I'm, you know, I'm out there on the left. Uh, but all my friends, almost all my best friends, are diehard Republicans and Trump supporters and you know, we're fine. I mean, life is too short to go to war against your friends. But in these times, I mean, people, it's just crazy. It would be crazy to have a political talk show. And I don't see in this market why they would put a guy on the air uh, 
you know, who is of my political stripe. I just don't see it. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll stick to sports. I got a better chance there than I, I do in politics, but that, tell me that. Thank you. <laughs> well, Danby Nash wants to know if you will be back in radio period anytime soon. I hope, but you, you never know, Chris. Uh, I've, you know, uh, there's been some interest. We'll see what happens. And uh, if we consummate a deal, I'll, you know, we will enthusiastically put it out there. We, you know, believe me, uh, and I can speak for Kevin, you know, we're very proud of uh, the 16 years we spent at the zone. It was fun. It was an honor. And the day after we got fired, it just, the response on social media blew me away. It did. It, it just, I, I just never imagined. Uh, and it's, it's followed. It, it's really for the most part, you know, I get something every day in some way, shape or form. And it's really nice, uh, because usually, you know, you get a lot of, uh, you know, negative responses and we really didn't, but, you know, uh, we're, you know, we're definitely thinking over a few things and, uh, and hopefully, uh, uh, in the next few weeks or months, uh, something will come together. Well, I'll say this. It may be one of the biggest compliments I can pay you. In the summer where everybody's mad about something every day, um, I think that's the angriest I've seen my dad, who's 77, get all summer. When he found out that you and Kevin worked. And and I'll tell you what, I was pretty close behind. I just couldn't believe it. Um, I would listen to you guys, and I know what it takes just to be on top of one beat, right? To have to do that with the Predators and the Titans and you're the flagship station at UT, so there's expectations that come with that. Not to mention who those teams are playing, you know, whatever goes on in the NBA and Major League Baseball. I was just floored at how you and Kevin were able to stay on top of everything. And as I know I get as I get later in life and you you have wives and kids and whatever, like it's hard to stay on top of much of anything just with that. I was just blown away with the knowledge you guys brought to the airwaves every day, and I really miss that. Uh, I appreciate uh, it. Was something I enjoyed doing, uh, and my family can tell you that every day I went to work, I loved my job. I mean, it wasn't a day I dreaded it. I'm very lucky. I've got the best, best ex-wife in the world because uh, she does all the heavy lifting around here, which allowed me to uh, nerd out and sit in front of a computer and do whatever I had to do to do, do my job uh, to the utmost. And, uh, you know, that's important, too. But, uh, you know, listen, I was very lucky to be doing something I loved for 16 years. I had 19 years at Channel 5. Uh, I hope the party's not over, but, uh, if it is, uh, you know, I can, I, I have no regrets. Uh, I didn't feel like I was mailing it in, uh, you know, however management felt about us. Uh, but, uh, I, I appreciate the compliment and, uh, you know, we, we, we were both doing something we were passionate about and, uh, we had a, we, and we had a blast doing it. What was, well, and the question sort of self-destructs before I start, because I don't know that you ever had a typical day. It probably depended on whether the Predators were playing or whatever. But what was, what what did your days generally look like the last few years in terms of when did you get up, when did you go to bed, and did you have any time to breathe in between? Uh, my bedtime uh, as a moving target. Uh, I just, I was just like obsessed about the show. 
Uh, I would, you know, I'd get up in the middle of the night, get on the computer. Generally, uh, you know, would do the show, would get up at like five, at like five o'clock. Show started at six. Uh, when the show was over, uh, if I didn't have to, you know, be at a production meeting or whatever, I would take a nap. And then uh, at about three o'clock, I would get on the computer and I'd be on there for three or four hours getting ready for the next day and then sort of as the night went on you know kind of update uh you know what we were going to do the next day and send out you know sort of a, a syllabus of the show to the to the people i was doing the show with whether it was kevin and frank or or kevin and blaine uh and and our producer and that's you know and sprinkle in you know call to my friends Sources, whatever. Uh, and if it was a Preds game, I'd go to a Preds game. But, uh, you know, to me, it was, it, it was, it was great. I mean, I, I, I couldn't think of a better way to make a living. Door fan wants to know if, if uh, sports casting and sports talk radio had not panned out, what would have been your second career choice? Man. I'm not sure, Chris. Uh, I, I, maybe maybe I would have been in sales. You know, early on in my career, I, I was I was pretty good in sales when I was doing minor league baseball play by play. I mean, that was you know that was one of the things I really wanted, and it just didn't work out. You know, the other thing I might have gone to law school. I mean, who knows? My mother wanted me to be a lawyer, uh, but uh, you know, I, I just got bitten by the broadcasting bug, and I was lucky enough to get a really good job right out of college doing triple a baseball. And it's been a pretty interesting ride since then. I don't know how you'd have time, but do you have any hobbies outside of the business of sports? <laughs> I think I heard that. that. <laughs> yeah. I got a big nope. Gosh, I haven't played golf in like 12 years. Cause, uh, cause my son just, you know, just didn't, didn't like it. Uh, so other than, you know, kids, really no hobbies. Another one from Door Fan. In fact, there's a few more from him. Uh, what was your most memorable moment on Channel 5 or radio, reporting on something that was the highest of highs or lowest of lows, and he says you cannot answer Vol's national title in football? Uh, it, that, that wouldn't have been it. Highest of highs, uh, the Titans winning the AFC championship, being on the field. Uh, when they, when they got the trophy, uh, you know, seeing Bud Adams, uh, uh, just, you know, absolutely speechless, you know, that, that was pretty cool. Uh, lowest of lows being on the air when Dale Earnhardt was killed. I was doing that in real time. Uh, and it was, it was surreal. Uh, I, I can't imagine anything that's even close to that, but, uh, but those, those are the first two things that come to mind the steve mcnair story i think would have to be in that ballpark too well i was i was at a i was at a reds game in cincinnati with my brother and we were leading the game and we were going to columbus and i can't remember for what i don't know if we were going to go to another game the next day or whatever but i got a call from eric yussi you know and eric had replaced me uh, at News Channel 5, 
And he goes, do you know what's going on? I go, no. And he said, Steve McNair was murdered. And I'm like, yeah, holy crap. And so I went right to the airport and got on a plane uh, and really went right to the radio station and was on the air for, I can't remember how many hours, but yeah, that was, that was crazy just because, you know, I was in a totally, you know, different location out of town and had to figure out a way to get home. Were you with the Preds when they made the cup run? Yeah. What was that I, like? I, I, Oh, that was it was unbelievable. You know, I was how do I put this? I yeah, I was on I, w- I was doing the TV, but not for the last three series because uh, you know the, the, the networks take over. It was it was unbelievable. I mean, you could you know you could see in the Chicago series uh, when they swept the Blackhawks that something was happening, and when they beat the Blues in six. And I mean, beat them convincingly. You could tell that this was that this was setting up to be something special, and it was it was just unbelievable. It was, yeah. And, and it's funny to say because you know the Titans went to the Super Bowl, and that was that was incredible. But none of that was really in town, you know. As you remember, I mean, the Titans only played the. Uh, the wild card game in Nashville. Uh, the you know there was a different kind of excitement. It was pre uh, social media, uh, but this you know with the crowds on Broadway, with you know the viewing parties, and just how it kept growing and growing. You know, one night Charles Barkley's there, another night Nick Saban's there. I mean, everybody wanted to be in on it. It was it was just unbelievable. Uh, and I think we all look back at that, you know, like, like you do your first girlfriend or boyfriend or relationship or whatever. I mean, it is something that you'll look back and just, you know, feel warm and fuzzy about the rest of your life until they do it again and hopefully win the cup. But it was so organic, but at the same time, it was so exciting. And there's just something about a city coming together. And, and like I said, I mean, this this was in the uh, the age of social media, and this really I mean the all I mean I, I was front and center for the all star game, and the all star game was really cool for me. I got to anchor an you know an hour special uh, on the Saturday before uh, the all star game, and Nashville you know for the for the National Hockey League was sort of the center of the hockey universe, but for the Stanley Cup Final it was a totally different animal, and and it just it just put Nashville on the map in such a cool way. Uh, you know, I, I, the draft was sort of the same way too. I mean, you, you just saw something that made you really proud for your city. And at the same time, just realizing how cool it was to have people in and out of Nashville, you know, really loving your city as much as you did. When they go into that Chicago series, was there any remote part of you that says, hey, I see a little something here where they could pull a surprise and really take off? Yeah, I mean, the fact that they swept them, I mean, that the the Blackhawks were their postseason boogeyman, and they just absolutely steamrolled them, you know, let you know that there was a new sheriff in town. And, you know, Peter Laviolette had won a Stanley Cup, had been to a final with the Flyers, 
you know, Peter Laviolette's a Hall of Fame coach. And, of course, Barry Trotz is, 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 is a Hall of Fame coach, too. But Laviolette just – this team had a swagger. Uh, and you could just see. I mean, there is something to be said for peaking at the right time. And that's exactly what happened with them. Yeah, but I guess what I was getting at is, did you did you see that before the first puck dropped in in game one though at any no. point though? Because I I didn't remember there being any particular buzz about that team, and I'm not nearly as close to it as you are. But yeah, they didn't play. They didn't play particularly well at the end of the season. They got in, which is what they wanted, but nobody nobody could see them, you know, just totally gelling like they did. I mean, it was. It was unbelievable, but that's, that is the beauty of sports. Uh, you know, the, the fact that it's so organic and you don't know what's going to happen. And when it does happen and it's your team, you know, it's, it's the best drug. Uh, it's the best legal drug available. Mark, I know Vanderbilt baseball for the most part has not been anywhere near the top of the radar in terms of the general sports landscape, although I think that changed, especially uh, over the last couple of years. But everybody in this town in sports media knows and likes, if not loves, Tim Corbin. I know that uh, you have a great respect for him. What was it like watching him build that program, winning it in 14, and then doing that again in 2019? I've always said that what Tim Corbin has done at Vanderbilt is the most amazing sports feat that I've seen accomplished, not only in, not only in this town, but really in any town. The only, the only person to me that comes close to uh, comparison with Corbin is Pat Summit, who took the Lady Balls from absolute scratch and built a, you know, a power, a dynasty. And with Corbin, you know, I would see, and, and Roy Muburn is a very nice man who did not have the facilities that Tim Corbin did. So when Tim Corbin came in as baseball coach, we all thought, oh, what a personable guy. I mean, he'll do, he should do better. But he kept doing better and better. And then he started getting the David Prices of the world. Uh, and, and you just saw that the, the quality of player, you know, you know, kept escalating. And and Corbin, I mean, you know this. Tim is such a unique guy. Uh, he he knows how to connect with everybody. I mean, Tim Corbin could succeed in any walk of life, in any occupation, because he understands it's about relationships. Uh, and and he's done that. And the facility, uh, the facilities that he's built there are second to none. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was so happy for him, as so many of you know, in a lot of ways, Tim Corbin's like Terry Chris. Uh, everybody thinks we're his best friend. Uh, you know, and Corbin makes you feel like you're one of his close friends. Uh, and, and I, like, like many, have a great relationship with, with Tim and, you know, text him and, and all that and, and talk to him. I was, th- I was so happy for him when he won his first national championship. And knew that others would be coming because, you, you know, you could just see it. You know, he wasn't, uh, you know, he, he wasn't a one-trick pony. He, you know, he was a guy who was going to sustain his success. But, you know, winning the second one, you know, that, that team was definitely different than the first one. And I think uh, if we reconvene and uh, on this podcast in 10 years, 
uh, Chris, we'll probably be talking about three or four more national championships. He's just a special guy. I mean, uh, you know, you can talk about Nick Saban. You can talk about a lot of great coaches. The most, the most interesting thing about Tim Corbin, and the last year of our show, he was on every Friday. And we, we talked to him about a lot of things other than baseball. Most interesting man in the world. Uh, his circle of friends, who he reaches out to, uh, to talk coaching, to talk leadership. Uh, it's, it's fascinating uh, just to sit and, and listen to him. And you know, I just think he's an extraordinary individual. Vanderbilt is so lucky to have him. I mean, you and I both know he could, he could leave and go anywhere. And let me tell you something. The way Major League Managing is now, Tim Gorman could be a Major League Manager. I, 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 I say that uh, without fear of contradiction. That couldn't have happened maybe 10 years ago. But Tim Corbin manages people as well as anybody. And I'm talking about at the major league level. Uh, so he is an extraordinary individual. And, yeah, I am, like so many, one of his biggest fans. Yeah, I think the most interesting man in the world comment you made is I've never heard anybody say it, but I think it's dead on. The thing that I think separates him is like a lot of these head coaches like that have been hyper successful, Saban and Belichick come to mind. You can understand why they're great at what they do, but there's like a disconnect with the rest of the world in terms of relation and personality. Although Saban's gotten better at it uh, and knows how to do it. You just get the feeling he doesn't want to do it more than he has to. With Tim, there is a genuine component to his personality uh, that I've just never seen in a coach that, that's been that successful uh, the way that he has it. And I think that's why everybody loves him. Oh, no doubt. And the, the relationship he has with his players, um, it, it, it just it just blows me away. Was it Tyler Brown is was the closer, right? And just, just his story about him getting Tommy John surgery and getting married and all that. And a lot of coaches would have been scared off by that. And Corbin just, you know, kept developing the relationship, stayed in touch with him. And he, you know, he came to Vanderbilt and had a great career. Um, you know, so, so stuff like that, you know, the Donnie Everett thing and the way that he has made Donnie's family uh, a part of the Vanderbilt family and not casually. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's amazing. You know, just the energy that he has and his attention to detail and just how great he is at maintaining relationships. You know, a lot of times a player, you know, stops playing for you and he'll come back and you'll be happy to see him and all that. But Corbin is involved in the lives of so, of all of his ex-players. It doesn't matter what they're doing, whether they're in sales or whether they're in the big leagues. And, uh, and it's, just, it's just awesome. Uh, to see that, and I, I just think he is just such an extraordinary individual. You know, he's wound pretty tight. I mean, maybe not as much as he used to, uh, but uh, he's a really interesting guy. The Everett thing was the thing that I thought could break him because he carried that burden around every day. It was never far from him, but at the same time, he leaned into it. He never shied away from it. I don't think anybody – yeah, if you could write a handbook for that, I don't think anybody could have written it better than he did because 
he he was able to embrace that enough to where it really cut him to his soul. But at the same time, the grace with which he handled it, I don't think anyone could have handled it better than he did. Oh, and and Chris, you know, I mean that team was shattered. I mean we always you know, we always think back to Hank Gathers, the guy from Loyola Marymount, you know, who died on the court, and Loyola Marymount goes on to go, you know, deep into the NCAA tournament. To the, to the elite eight, I think. And you wondered if Vanderbilt would do that, you know, circle the wagon, but they were so shattered. I mean, they got, I mean, you remember that regional. They just, I mean, they got destroyed. I mean, they lost, you know, like 15 to one or whatever, whatever the score was. I mean, that, that team and that coach were both shattered by that. And it took them a long time. I mean, more than, more than a year, uh, you know, to at least cope, you know, to at least sort of, Maybe not put it behind them, but, you know, not have it, uh, you know, just totally, you know, drag them down. Yeah, if people don't remember, I believe they had swept Xavier by 26-3 score earlier in the year, and I believe 15-1 to was the final. Kyle Wright was the guy that I took the think took the beating in that one, but those kids hadn't slept. I mean, there was no chance, and I think... That was a team that I look back on, and I looked at this for a couple hours this summer, went back and looked at that team. That 2016 team was better than any of us realized at the time, and I would not have been shocked if that team had gone back and made a deep run to Omaha. Instead, we know what happened there, and I I really think that just destroyed the next two years of their program after that. They hung on enough to get back to a regional, but I just think that that set them back for three years in a way I've never seen a program set back in the way that that was. You know what? A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people might look at that and view that as sort of a weakness. And to me, that only showed the, the humanity of Corbin and just how hard he took it. And, it, you know, it showed. I mean, it, it took him a while, uh, you know, before, you know, he could figure out how to totally cope with it. And yeah, it was really uh, a very, very tragic, but also a pretty illuminating process. Yeah. I have been really happy for him at three times. The first was 11 when they got to Omaha and and they got that out of the way. The second time was 14 when they won it in a year that I don't think people saw that coming because that got another, another burden off his back. I think that those were, were great for him, but I think they also, and, and I don't know how to articulate this, but they were almost, it was almost like the removal of that burden was greater than the joy. I think when they won it last year, I saw a joy in him that I have never sensed. Um, and, and I think it also removed a burden, but I've, I've never seen him just sit back and soak in the moment the way that he did in 2019. And I think that's why, of all the things he's done, I was happiest for him after that uh, as compared to anything else that he's ever done. Yeah, and he had Donnie's parents down in the field with him when they were celebrating. And, you know, once again, uh, he he just always does the right thing. Last question, I'll let you go after this. Um, Dorfan wants to name wants you to name your three bucket list sporting events. And I'll be surprised if there's anything left that you haven't checked off at this point. But that's a great question to end this with. I still haven't made it down to a Masters, believe it or not. It just, it just hasn't happened. Gosh, the the others. I've been to a Kentucky Derby. I've been to 
a Stanley Cup final. I've been to a Super Bowl, a World Series, Army Navy game. That is supposed to be, you know, pretty neat. Um, I can't think of a number three. I'm sorry. Have you done a World Cup? No, I haven't done a World Cup. Well, there you there go. You go. You're welcome. Uh, last question for me. I just thought of this. What's the strangest thing that you've ever covered? Strangest sporting event or whatever? The uh, the, the Vanderbilt tennis ball game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I still, I still get asked about it. And the funny thing is, Frank Cornette, who was crying after the game, I don't have to retell the story for Vanderbilt fans, luckily. But Frank Cornette was in tears after the game. And I I hadn't seen him in forever. And I remember, you know, thinking about, gosh, the last time I talked to him was the tennis ball game. That was, I mean, that was the strangest thing I've ever seen. Because CM Newton did, I'm not not kidding you when I'm saying this, Sam Newton did some of his best coaching in that game to to get it to overtime. I, I mean, he 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 Dean Smithed it uh, in, in terms of using his timeouts and free throws and everything else. And uh, I thought he he was masterful. And it all got obscured because of a, a tennis ball thrown by. Well, some of us think we know who it is. Yeah, I think there's a few that think they know who that is. And I think what was salt in the wound in that game was it was Dwayne Shenzis who was like. Probably the yeah. the villain of college basketball at the time. Yep. Worst mullet I've ever seen. Uh, no doubt about it. Well, with that, I'll let you go. I've kept you long enough. Mark, this has been so enjoyable. I appreciate you joining us. Tell people where they can follow along with you on Twitter or wherever else you are these days. I, I'm rooting for you to make an emergence somewhere. I'm sure it'll happen. But where can people follow you on Twitter or wherever you are um, talking about things these days? On Twitter, M. Howard Sports. All right, Mark, thank you so much. He's Mark Howard. I'm Chris Lee. Yeah, you bet. Uh, He's Mark Howard. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast.